0: Welcome. welcome to KC Corner episode 133 with a very, very special guest today.
1: Another great day. This is, <laughs> I'm so excited for this. We had this on the calendar for a while. Oh, and, a long time. And I, wow, this is like a high watermark. You know, <laughs> this, here we go. So I love it, Brooks. Oh yeah. Hey, welcome back. I know we missed for Thanksgiving. Yeah, so. we, had to,
0: we had to take the week off. It, take a holiday week you off. You
1: know, <laughs> we were just too stuffed. So uh, mm-hmm, you had a good exactly. Thanksgiving though?
0: It was, it was a great Thanksgiving. All right, fantastic. You could go to some, like, it, it's not... We got Palatka on, Palatka. Uh, on that's Thanksgiving. A good old Palatka. Oh, yeah. They, they had some really good food there. That's awesome. Got to see my cousins. It was a good time.
1: Well, you know, when you think Thanksgiving, you think Palatka. <laughs> yes. yes that, that's my first thought. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I do have one question
0: before we get yes, started. How was the golf game up at uh, Conestee?
1: Yeah, as you know, having played there and being up in Brevard, North Carolina with the family for Thanksgiving, what a beautiful place. Uh, mm-hmm. Favorite golf course is Conesty. So, Caleb, my son, and I, you're buddy Uh, Mm -hmm. we were able to play twice we got my son-in-law todd out there it was fantastic that's awesome uh, brooks we saw a fox that literally stole our golf balls (laughs) off of the off of the greens uh on one of the holes and and that fox got so close to us i mean it was Mm -hmm. and as you know the number of deer you see on the course up there it's like i was
0: there two weeks ago three weeks ago and we played the same course and by the third hole we saw over 40 deer yeah and then amazing
1: incredible and they're and they're they're so used to having golf carts oh yeah they, they, they don't look at you like hey man, <laughs> hit it a little straighter next time you know well they're in the fairway they're safe for me you know <laughs> if they're they they're in the woods they might yep. get hit but, oh uh, yeah
0: anyway yeah it was great we we can get to our special guest now yes. we had to get our golf talk out of the way we did there we go
1: so we have we have nina yan and nina is kind of a very important role she's both president and ceo of the sharing center and that is as you know one of our emerging ministry partners that we've really in the last couple months been able to uh, come alongside and, and be blessed by their ministry as well. So I've had the privilege of hearing Nina's story. Um, I'm so intrigued of how God's wired her and gifted her and the leadership uh, role that she's in. But Brooks, you're going to love the story. I mean, how God's hand has been on Nina is, is incredible to bring her here. So Nina, welcome to the corner. It is so good to have you. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you so much, Pastor Jakes and Brooke, for having me here mm-hmm. this morning.
1: No, it's a, it's a pleasure. a pleasure is ours. So, Nina, if I were to collect anything, and I, I uh, you can look around and collect books. There's different things I collect, but I love collecting stories. I'm just so intrigued with God is the greatest storyteller, the greatest storyteller ever. I mean, he spoke this world into existence, and he has been communicating to us through his creation, through his word he loves story that's what the bible is it's an incredible story but you know as he made us in his image he has given each one of us a story especially his children i mean just the story of redemption of how he finds us how he has gifted us and i love it because one of the first times that we came as a church to the sharing center you graciously came in and met with us uh, a few of our leaders and and you started sharing your story and i mean i wish i had a recorder then and so i'm so excited to have you on the corner um, to be able to share your story. So, um, you were born in Taiwan, is that correct? That's correct. And so, uh, but eventually would come to the States. So, uh, how old were you when you came to the States? And
2: so my dad actually came to America first by himself to work and set up a foundation and to earn more money. And Mm -hmm. then two years later, he went back to Taiwan and, uh, picked my mom and my, my two siblings up. And so we immigrated when I was 10 years old.
1: Where were you? Were you the oldest, the youngest? I'm the
2: youngest of three. So I have an older brother and then I have an older
1: sister. I'm the youngest of three as well. You see, I would have pegged you as the oldest. No. I'm a classic youngest, Nina. You know, I mean, I I am unorganized, I love fun, I'm not as detailed, but you seem to be so. On opposite, target. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's so amazing. So,
2: organized to the point that it irritates my husband. Well, well. He's very spontaneous and fun, and roll, you know, just go with it. Yeah, i Plan everything.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's uh, you know what you probably uh, weigh each other out very well. You we know? balance each other out exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. what Katie and I do as well. So, but anyway, so you're 10 years old when you came to the states. I mean, you. You had your your childhood in many ways was in Taiwan, and so pretty much, much pretty of much. your experience. Imagine lots of memories there. Um, when you left Taiwan, did you leave family? Was it just your nuclear family going? Were you? I would imagine you were connected to.
2: Yes, we we left a lot of family members um, in Taiwan, and they're still all there. Um, my uncles and lots of cousins. Um, both sets of my grandparents have passed away. So mainly cousins and uncles and aunts.
1: Okay. Where did y'all move to? when did you come to Florida? LA. Wow.
2: So we were in LA and um, my uncle, which is my dad's younger brother, had a small motel in LA. And um, the whole family worked the business. So my sister and I were cleaning rooms. My dad was fixing door and locks and AC and my mom manned the front desk so it was a very much a family-owned business and um, just over the years we would buy a small property sell it after a few years of management buy a slightly larger property so my dad was in the motel business
1: wow that's amazing so kind of the american dream and he got into the motel business sounds like because he had a family connection Mm -hmm. to the motel business and so he went from it sounds like a maintenance position to a a landlord, an owner, and and, uh, what a great American dream there. So Mm -hmm. did you, how long were you in LA? How long did you stay out there?
2: Um, We only stayed one year. It wasn't the nicest of neighborhood and my parents didn't want to raise the three children in that neighborhood. And so we sold that property and moved to Phoenix, Arizona. So we actually went from an all black neighborhood to an all white neighborhood. (laughs) And so both schools actually, when I was in LA, didn't really fit in and at the time didn't speak any English at all and um, then I went to Phoenix and it was an all-white school and I really stuck out Mm -hmm. so it was kind of an interesting childhood I I think because we moved around so much I learned how to adapt to my new environment and and make friends pretty quickly because I had to we were moving Every year almost for the first few years in, in America just so that my dad could grow his business Wow! and so um, you, you learn to get to know people really quickly when you have to move as much as we did at one point I counted from my first grade to graduating college I attended 13
1: schools 13 schools that's amazing so how, how did you get to Florida
2: um, so we moved from L.A. to Phoenix, Arizona. From Phoenix, we will move to Tucson, Arizona. And then by then, my dad owned a big motel called Tucson Inn. Unfortunately, it caught on fire. And I so know. the insurance um, paid it off. And so at that time, my brother saw on, uh, on the news that, oh, um, this town called Kissimmee is building a new Disney World. Oh
1: my So goodness. we need
2: to move to Kissimmee. Yeah. So, you know, being in the hotel business and all. And so the family moved from Tucson, Arizona to Kissimmee.
1: Okay. Well, did what's the weather like in Taiwan? It seems like your parents picked warm weather places. It's exactly. <laughs> similar you know, to
2: California yeah. and Florida. It's, it's humid in the summer and very hot and mm. it's mild winter. It's very similar weather to Florida. So I've been very fortunate. I've only lived in tropical states or countries like Florida, California, right. Taiwan, and then my first job out of college was in Hawaii.
1: Oh, that's a tough job out of college. <laughs> Real Gee, tough going place to, to Hawaii, move. you know. And so, uh, okay, this intrigues me because um, you uh, came here uh, in Kissimmee. You mentioned Kissimmee and Disney, and and I, I found out your age. You're, she's a little younger than I am, and I'm 39, so she's 37. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, knowing our ages, Nina. Um, I think Disney started in the early 70s. I think 72-ish. Uh, sorry, Disney, if I'm off. But um, but if I'm putting together the math, uh, and you're already 10, and you've already done L.A., and you've done Arizona, you know how old were you when you got to Florida? You're 14, 15?
2: Gosh, it's kind of a blur.
1: But no matter how old you were, Nina, the point is Disney's been up and running. And so Kissimmee, so you weren't like on the ground at the time your dad was maybe was he buying an existing hotel
2: correct so disney you know was was building their theme parks and they were adding more attractions every time you turn around and at that time 192 which is earl bronson highway wasn't really developed yet and so there was a lot of smaller mom-and-pop type of properties which is what um, my dad bought one of those um he bought the first one then he built the second one then he built a third one wow so he you know he was just adding to his real estate portfolio at the time what an
1: american dream yeah you know who was owning on 192 with were taiwanese uh were there many taiwanese owners at the time it was,
2: it was a lot of taiwanese chinese and indian owners interesting so it was all immigrants actually interesting
1: wow that is that is that and, is so and, neat. and i
2: think it attributes to our Work ethics because right. the Indians and, and the Chinese and the Taiwanese—they're just, you know, not slandering any other ethnicity, but sure. they're just extremely hardworking, yeah. and it's a—it's a family business. If you are one of those property owners, your child, your spouse, everybody's working that yeah, property—that business. It is all in. Mm-hmm. There's
1: something beautiful about that. Yeah. So when you were growing up, um, were you all Buddhist? Is that correct? Was it? Was yeah. There...
2: So majority of um, Taiwanese are. Buddhist that's just our main um, faith and we my family really didn't practice one religion or another mm-hmm. so we weren't really anything in particular but I was raised Buddhist yes
1: would you guys celebrate anything like Christmas were there any holidays that were celebrated? Um,
2: You know, I left when I was so young. I I want to say yes, but I just don't remember. But even in
1: your home growing up, that wasn't... No, we didn't
2: have Christmas tree or Christmas presents, that sort of thing. No. Uh, Okay. And we were not in the capital, which is Taipei. We were in the outskirts. We were in the, the villages. So kind of like the suburbs of the suburbs so we weren't really in any sort of western influence culture but if you go to the big city like taipei then i'm sure they had christmas trees and christmas decorations and so forth
1: do you do you ever ask your mom and dad is it what you thought it would be i mean i mean here they seem to have just so well done the american dream i mean how amazing
2: you know they it's funny you ask that because they just came back um from taiwan after spending a month there my mm-hmm. mom dad and my sister and um they're uh, they have a, a piece of land that was left behind by our ancestors so my dad want, wanted to develop it and so he went back to do the survey and talk to contractors and architects and so forth and both of my parents are in their 80s and mm. I shared with my mom, I said, Why are you building when you're both in your 80s? You should be relaxing and sure. enjoying life sure. and enjoying the fruits of your labor and yeah. all of your hard work. And, you know, she's like, Your dad won't slow down. He'll never <laughs> retire. He'll still be working the day, you know, Yeah. he passes away wow. and go to heaven. He's just, he's a workaholic. So you just can't even ask him to slow down.
1: What I know of you, Nina, he might have pushed that fast out onto you. You are amazing.
2: I, I am blessed. I, I learned. Tenacity yes. and my work ethics from my father. He he's one of those gentlemen that never take no for an answer. He never gives up. Whatever business problem he had, he always find a different solution. So if hmm. one banker says no to him this time, next month he'll go try another banker. Hmm. Or what's the obstacle? Let me overcome the obstacle wow. and prove to you that I'm worthy wow. for the loan. I mean, he just never took no for an answer. Wow. And I know I learned that from him. (laughs) That's
1: incredible. That's awesome. Hey, so you want, did you go to UCF for your undergrad? Is I did. It? Okay, I did. so so did Brooks. Go Knights. you, guys, yeah, go you guys Are both and, and you did. It really intrigues me. I think you did hospitality. Is that I right?
2: Hospitality. right? I did hospitality. I mean, memory.
1: you could have taught the course, Nina. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. did you say to the, to the professor, "Excuse me, ma'am, I, I this is a family business. I know more."
2: Well, and that was the idea that my parents was hopeful that I would go into the family business. So you know, realized by the time I was in college. My brother had been in the family business for years, so pretty much right after high school he wasn't even giving a choice to go to college, yeah. he stepped right into my father's shoes. And then um, my sister married early, so she was not in the family business until recently, and so now she's joined the family business. So I'm actually the black sheep of the family. Oh, I'm the, the only one that's not in the family on, business. Man. and I. I Chose my own path, basically.
1: Well, when you went into hospitality, was it with the thought of being in the family business? Or? Absolutely, yeah. that
2: was that was the plan.
1: Okay, and you got hired out by a bigger, one of the bigger hospitality companies, Hyatt. Okay, mm-hmm. and is that what led you eventually to China? Is it
2: um, s- sort of, and yes and no. So, in the, my senior year at UCF, um, Hyatt came down for a recruitment event. And through that process, I was one of the two uh, finalists that was invited to go to the Hyatt Grand Cypress out yes, by Disney. Sure. And so there were different students from different schools all made it to the final round. And you go to a, a banquet, like an evening reception, you s- spend the night, and then the next morning it was a round robin of interviews. You go to different rooms for different departments and so forth. And I remember I was very much an introvert. Very much until I think that evening I was walking into the banquet hall and I looked into this room of all strangers and I made a little mental note to myself. It was almost like something, a light bulb went off in my head and I said, Nina, if you're going to have a successful career in hospitality, you have to be comfortable talking to strangers. You have to become an extrovert. You have to force yourself to do things that you're not comfortable with and it was almost like I made that switch of mindset and I walked into the room and I picked the oldest person, I'm sure at the time he was only 30, but I picked the right. oldest guy in the room and went up and introduced myself.
1: That's incredible. And then
2: all I did was just zigzag the room and talk to all strangers. And then at the end, I talked to some of the students and there was only one other UCF student there. So I the whole room was literally all strangers.
1: Right. Well, with your tenaciousness, with the fact that your hard work ethic with the fact that you grew up in that industry, you had the, uh, the degree in that industry and you speak Mandarin uh, Chinese, I would imagine you'd be a pretty amazing candidate mm-hmm. saying, wow, that's awesome. So that starts your career and eventually you are gonna end up in China. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, so
2: Hyatt hired me on as their corporate management trainee right out of college. And they gave me three choices. Um, one was Greensboro, in Carolina. One was the Hyatt Grand Cypress here locally, and then one was the um, Grand Hyatt Wailea on the Big Island of Hawaii. That's
1: right, that's where you started. So mm-hmm. I
2: picked easy choice. the Big Island. Easy real, real <laughs> easy choice. <Yeah. laughs>
1: the Big Island, isn't there a it's in the volcanoes
2: yeah, it's an volcano? Right mm-hmm. so, oh, yes, active volcano. So from there, I stayed in Hawaii for three years. I also worked with um, the Grand Hyatt Poipu Beach in Kauai. And then I also worked with um, the, let me think, there's like three Hyatt's I worked for, and then I worked a short uh, stint with the Four Seasons on Maui. Okay, nice. And then just from working at Hyatt, I met different people from the Hyatt Corporation in Taiwan, from Taiwan they came over for... Uh, a conference and so I made my connection there and eventually I ended up in Taiwan and opening a hotel called Shangri-La Hotel in Taipei Wow! and then from there in Taipei um, I stayed three years and moved with Shangri-La the company a uh, hotel company to Shanghai China Wow! and so by the time I got to China I was um, senior sales manager for a hotel company
1: okay and so you are a seasoned veteran in China what was it like living in china i mean again i know that taiwan and china have a similar language i know there's some strain between the maybe the two that i don't fully understand but um here you are kind of an american taiwanese background mm-hmm. living in china did it feel foreign did it feel home i mean did you feel like you seems like you've experienced discrimination or at least feeling like you were on the yes. outside whether in la in an all-black school or an all-white school in arizona how did it feel like in china
2: so i look very much just like all the chinese people on the streets of shanghai and at the time um there was a a a friend a good friend of mine um he helped me shape my faith basically he's um from the philippines his name is sunny and he's a, a a strong christian and when my first year in shanghai it was just challenging times very for many reasons and sonny would take me to church and so you know he he looks western he doesn't look chinese and so he was able to go into the church but because it's an
1: underground church it's sort
2: of an underground church
1: okay
2: it it moved around several times until eventually not it was an underground anymore but for a while it was and so, with me looking very much like a local population person, and it was only a church service for foreigners, I had to carry my U.S. passport with me everywhere I, I go. And it got to a point that it was it was more of a deterrence that I spoke the language. I just stopped speaking Chinese altogether, and I would show them my U.S. passport and just speak English to them, and then they would just like wave me in. I got um, you. After a while, like I just pretended I didn't speak the, the language anymore. Right. so um, China was a very interesting stop in my faith formation I would say it's probably the place that helped shape my and strengthen my faith the most because of you know China is considered a hardship post for a reason that the people the culture the, the loneliness not having family support and so forth it was just a very hard post personally for me and going to church every Sunday was sunny Really helped me um, cleanse my soul. That's the best way I can describe it. It's it's like the whole week from Monday through Saturday, all the the bad things or whatever happened at work just piling on your your slate or your plate, and you're you're just exhausted and you're emotionally beaten, and you're just you want a fresh start on Monday, and I felt like going to church on Sunday. God just clean my slate and take all the problems off my plate so I could start each Monday fresh and and renewed and energetic and ready to tackle the problem of, of the world at that time. And so I think that's where my faith grew the strongest.
1: You know, you say your faith grew the strongest. What a great story. But would you say you became a Christian then? I mean, again, you grew up in a more of a Buddhist home and maybe it wasn't a practicing Buddhist home, but now you're going to a Christian church mm-hmm. every Sunday in China. Uh, would you say that's kind of where faith came into the picture? Would you, would you say, cause I know you had to tell your parents at one time, Hey, I'm following Jesus or I'm a Christian, uh, was that, was that when it probably happened was there?
2: I, I would say so. And actually my parents, so I'm working in China. My parents still in Florida, central Florida here. And, um, one time I, I call home and on a Sunday and somebody with either my mom or dad said, Oh, we just got back from church. And I kind of did a
1: <laughs> double take.
0: Huh? Yeah.
2: I, I was like, when did I, was you like I just start? got back from church. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. when did you guys start going to church? And so it was really interesting it was when I was overseas either in Taiwan or or China that they started going to church here in Orlando themselves they go to a Chinese church and um, they were baptized before I was baptized so they were definitely an influence on me I was already going to church in China not knowing they were already going to church in Central Florida
1: that's (laughs) incredible You know, what I love, when I read through scripture, you know, we would never seek God if He doesn't first seek us. I mean, in John 6, uh, Jesus is speaking, says, hey, no one comes to the Father unless He's drawn. You know, the Holy Spirit draws us. And I think that that God uh, pursues us. And I just, I think of your story, Nina, being born in Taiwan, and just, you start, you know, you wanna put pins in in, in a map of where you were and where God would say, okay, Nina, I love you in your mind and you're mine and and whisper your name in China in a hard time. And it's often those times where you realize that you need a savior. You you you're a talented woman. I mean it's so clear. Being around you, he's gifted you and you're driven and you have so many wonderful attributes to be the president and CEO of a ministry like the Sharing Center. But you know, we got to get to the place where we realize, wow, uh, we need a savior, that there's something missing that only he can fill. Mm -hmm. And then I love thinking back and saying, you know, scripture says that God loved us before time began. I mean, before he created anything, Nina's story is going to unfold as a part of his story. And, you know, whether you're in LA or wherever you are, and you're not quite there yet, he knew. And I just, I just love, that Jesus says, "Listen, my sheep are going to hear my voice, and and I'm they're going to follow me, and uh, and I he says I'm not going to lose any. I mean, I just love that. I mean, just think of the fact that he is going to pursue and find his sheep and uh, wherever they are, mm-hmm. um, and the fact of God's grace in your family, that you didn't have to come home and explain a new faith to your family. That, that at the same time you guys were, how gracious of God. I mean, that could have been really different. So okay. So let's connect, let's, let's connect a couple of dots. So you're, you're in China, you're working in the hospitality industry, you're making your career, you got a great trajectory. You know, um, I kind of want to ask, were your parents proud of you? I mean, even though you weren't in the family business, you were kind of crushing it, it sounds I, like.
2: You know, I don't know at the time if they were proud of me. They, I think later in my career, when I went back to school to study for my master's. I think they were more proud of me through education. It, they were disappointed I didn't take over the family business for sure. I got you. And so after 10 years of being abroad between Hawaii and Taiwan and uh, China, I came back to Central Florida. At that time, they thought I would definitely Step go in. into the family business. Yeah. And um, at the time, I remember, because my dad was starting to uh, develop a First of its kind in Kasimie, it's an indoor flea market. So most flea markets you see are open air. Maybe they have a roof, but open right. all walls and so forth. And this one was a complete indoor building, so it's AC in the summer and it's heated in the in the winter and so right. forth. And um, my dad said, you know, why don't you go work for your brother and help him open this flea market? And so I was my dad, my brother's secretary for maybe a week, and. Huh. His personality is exactly like my husband. Husband's. Chip,
1: I like him. He's going to be my he's, friend. He's
2: disorganized. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't make appointments on time. He's probably and, good looking. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um, I, I would have to make excuses for him when vendors show up to sign contracts or whatever appointment. And And after a week of working with him, I went to my parents and I said, you know what i i can't work with my brother we're polar opposites our management style is different our our planning our organizational skills are polar opposites and mm-hmm. i said if you if you want a happy child i need to leave the family business and so i did i i didn't last in my parents family business and um i went to work for visit orlando back then it was called the orlando convention and visitors bureau so it was in the hospitality field and you get to meet all kinds of wonderful meeting planners that want to bring their convention to the Orange County Convention Center. So I was back in sales again and I loved it at that time of my career. It it was wonderful. You get invited to all the hotel openings, Mm -hmm. you get invited to all the VIP back of the house Mm -hmm. um, events at Universal and Mm -hmm. Disney and SeaWorld and you get to be invited to all the restaurant openings. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, for that time in my life, it was a great job for me Mm -hmm. because It was a good fit at that young age and um, this comes back to later in in our conversation about shoes and you know at the time in the corporate world I was a single person you know making really good um, package and financially doing really well and so you know buying shoes was my thing I Mm love shoes and I still I still love shoes (laughs) but at the time I really wouldn't think about how much I was paying for a pair of new shoes Mm -hmm. And um, much later on in my life, um, I realized how wasteful I was, really. Mm. It's only a pair of shoes. Why mm. would you buy a pair of three, $400 shoes versus, mm-hmm. you know, I have great shoes now for forty nine ninety nine from right. DSW or yeah, right. $29.99 from <laughs> right. DSW. And I love my shoes. Right. So um, it, it just was a, a different phase of my life that I had to go through. To get to where I am today mm-hmm. and I truly believe and I tell this to all our interns from UCF we have a great internship program at um, the sharing center so I, t- I tell all the interns I said every job you have even if it's a really bad job or bad boss there's always a, a lesson in there to be learned so every job you have you know pick something put it in your toolbox something you learn good or bad and and I did the same you know I had one bad boss that was a, a horrible planner and he would put things on people's plate on the very last minute. It was for the next day, for a meeting, you know, we wouldn't get the PowerPoint till that night, the night before. Right. And I remember saying to myself, if I am ever in a position of leadership I have to give my assistants more time than 24 hours to prepare yeah. for a meeting.
1: I, you know? I, did someone send you to tell me that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's, that's no. Good. And so I, I just I just share with our interns, You know, every job you have, there's a lesson in there. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a technical lesson, a life lesson, a management lesson, a leadership lesson, put that away in your toolbox. Because you're gonna open up your toolbox one day, mm-hmm. and all the things you've gathered, all of the life lessons and skills, it's going to come in handy.
1: That's a that's a great great point. I love it. So what what a, what an awesome thing. Tell me real quickly how did you get from how did you get into the sharing center? How did God take you from the world of profit to the world of nonprofit? The world of and again that's a different world. I mean they, they say that uh, I remember reading Collins's book Good to Great and, and 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 then he wrote a monograph a single chapter about nonprofits and a lot of people said hey nonprofit leadership most people look down on um but he said that like in the business world it's more of an executive style of leadership uh because you can fire people and you can be more directive but in a world of volunteers it's more legislative it's 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 almost like you need to have a little bit of a different tools in your tool bag to to, to motivate or mm-hmm. to, to to corral volunteers is a whole different thing but anyway you know go ahead it's oh
2: easy. i was in a Make a comment about your volunteer comment. Um, we have great loyal volunteers that mm-hmm. some comes three days a week to help wow. us do our work. And um, the joke is, if, if they do a great job one day, I'll say I'll double your pay. Oh yeah, that's
1: great. Exactly. <laughs> so great I say that to view. my
2: volunteers all the time. Yeah. Like, I'll double your that, pay that's today. Awesome. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> Very generous. All right. So how did God get you to the to the nonprofit world?
2: So from. Uh, working at Visit Orlando when I came back from China. I stayed with that company for eight years. Then I got into business development for Avon Health. At the time it was called Florida Hospital. And we had a sister hospital in uh, Nicaragua so I would go with our medical group uh, emergency room physicians and go do a medical mission uh, in foreign countries. And then also through my church, mm. um, we do a medical mission in Jamaica. Mm. So I was doing a lot of these week-long mission trips and I just kept on feeling like I want to stay longer. I want to learn their language. I want to eat their food. I want to get to know the people, their culture. Mm-hmm. And every time I had to get on a plane to come back home, I just didn't want to leave. And that feeling got so strong. You know, at, at one point when I was working at Florida Hospital, I was using all my PTO time to go overseas to do those week-long mission trips. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, I, I, I did become a missionary. And then from there, I pursued my master's in nonprofit management. And then after that, I got um, my first fundraising job at a special needs school. And then from there, I went to my second agency as a development director, as a fundraiser. So who knew being in sales and marketing in a hotel company is really a transferable skill into fundraising. Wow. It's all about relationship building. It's all about um, gaining the trust of the people you're working with. And um, you know, when you're selling a hotel company or ballroom or customer service or food and beverage, now hmm. you're really painting a picture of story sharing. You're, you're, you're sharing, let's say, you know, Pastor Jake's your church invests in our work. Mm-hmm. I have to stay, I should stay connected with your church leadership and say, because of your funding, this is an impact you're making in our community. So you have to stay connected with your, uh, with your donors and supporters and build those relationships and build the trust. And so through fundraising in my second agency, This is truly a God story. So I'm two years in this really great agency in Orange County, also doing um, homeless and uh, hunger prevention. And you get comfortable, right? You get good at your job and then you get comfortable. And at the time um, it was about my two year anniversary. And one of my mentors said, Hey, the Christian sharing center in Seminole County is looking for a president CEO. So this was, June of 2018-ish, June-ish, and I said, I'm really happy here at XYZ agency, I'm not looking for a move, I'm, I'm going to stay. And then about three months later, a different mentor friend of mine said, hey, the Sharing Center is looking for a president and CEO and you're a person of faith and what they do and what you currently do is very similar type of services, you should apply. And at the time, it was about two weeks before our big fundraising uh, luncheon, and I was up to my eyeballs with special events. And I said, thank you that you think I'm ready, but I'm, I'm not ready to move. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm happy here. And then it was the third time. Now, this is now around Thanksgiving time. The third person said to me, that Christian Sharing Center president and CEO job has stayed open for a long time. Maybe it's time that you look into it. Wow. And I turned to my girlfriend, Sandy, and I said to her, I said, you're the third person in the last six months that's told me about this job. And I don't know anything about the sharing center or it's legally the Christian sharing center doing business as the sharing center. I said, I I must look into it. So that was on a Friday. And I check out their uh, website on Saturday. Then I call a friend of mine at the time. he, He was leading the Christian chamber. And I said, Mark, can you tell me about this agency? And sh- he did. He used to serve on the board of directors. Wow. He said, um, I'm not on the board anymore, but a friend of mine is, so let me reach out to her. So five minutes later, he calls me back, and he said, they've closed the application process. So now now yeah. it's Sunday. Um, they're starting their um, interview, phone interview process on Tuesday. And mm. I was so deflated. I'm like... It oh. took me six months to decide to do something about it. And now the the search opportunity missed, is gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's missed opportunity. He goes, but because I was highly recommending you, the search committee will take a look at your resume. Mm-hmm. So he basically back channeled my resume to mm-hmm. the right people. And Monday morning, I was walking into a 8.30 coffee appointment um, and my phone rings and it wasn't a number I recognized and it was really early in the morning. So I decided that it was important. And it was one of the person a board member from the christian Sharing center and she said you know i received your resume yesterday and we're all booked up for our phone interview for tomorrow there are eight positions and we're interviewing eight candidates but if anything changes i'll give you a call later on today so that was monday morning and by Monday afternoon, she called back and emailed me and said, our 2.30 candidate dropped out. Can you do a phone interview at 2.30 tomorrow? Incredible. I'm like, yeah. absolutely. And so awesome. I took the afternoon off. I went to my sister's house and did the phone interview. So that was on a Tuesday. And then on Thursday, they invited three people out of the eight to come back for a face-to-face interview. And that was Thursday morning. I did the face-to-face interview. And by the following Within two weeks, I would say, they made a job offer. That's
1: fantastic. And they made the right offer. <laughs> and I, Again, you know, God's I turned it hand. down like
2: I didn't yeah. even pursue it. I wasn't even looking for a new job. Yeah. And, and, and I just felt like I had to. Because from talking to Mark, talking to the search committee, from somebody yeah. dropping out, God was just paving the road he for was. me.
1: His hand of providence. His his story is unfolding, you know. And as it unfolds, it takes twists and turns. And you think there's a crease in the in the in the fold. That man, it's 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 a dead end. All of a sudden, it opens up. And look where you are. It's fantastic. Okay, listen. You've been great. And I I I have one last story. I I just need you to share. You've kind of hinted at it, but you have a wonderful story of you and your mom going, I believe, to the outlets, uh, to mm-hmm. the, uh, are they called outlets? Uh, yeah, Premium yeah.
2: outlet mall. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you're doing what you love to do, and that yeah. is to shop for shoes, and yet it's a completely different thing because of your missionary background and a time that you were looking for a specific shoe. Uh, can you quickly tell us that story a <laughs> Absolutely. little bit of
2: So um, when you're a missionary and you're taking showers in a lot of weird places, um, especially in developing countries, some of those showers are just picture your shower in an outdoor environment and then there's a big um, oval shaped heater, water heater that's attached to the end of the water source. So as the water is coming into that machine, it's heating it and then you, know, you get lukewarm water um, standing right. underneath in a puddle of water also. And a lot of these um, water heater machines were very badly put together. So you have exposed electrical wires with water running through the machine and you're standing in a puddle of water. So you learn very quickly to wear rubber sole flip flops when you take one of those showers because when you go turn on and off the water, you don't get electrocuted. It would
1: be so shocking. Yes, Yes. it was
2: very shocking when you (laughs)
1: learn
2: it the first couple of times. And so um, my mom and I, one of my visits back home um, went to banana republic i just love their flip-flops and they were having a flip-flop sale and -hmm. there was a pair of orange color one there's a pair of red one and i was trying one color on then i was trying on the other color And i was going back and forth and driving my mom crazy she's like just buy it already make up your mind and i said mom it's seven dollars a pair you know how many families and how many days seven dollars Mm. can feed a family in Guatemala mm. like I can't be so wasteful and buy both red and orange and and because I was indecisive my mom said I'll just buy both of them for you just mm. so that like she could get me yeah. out of the store and so she did she bought the orange and the red ones for me and um, a couple of days later she was driving uh, me back to the airport and I said you know mom I, I'm, I'm very curious because the first time I wanted to go a year ago to Guatemala, you and dad were so adamantly against me leaving the country. And, you know, my job is to find a husband and get married and raise a mm. family, the traditional Chinese culture. Right. Mm. But instead, I quit my job and I went to a third world country and, and wasn't um, making any money at all. But I was mm. making money in a different way. Right. Yeah. I was building my my own heavenly, and investment. And yeah. heavenly investment. Perfect. And so I said, Mom, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that you and dad blessed me to stay the second year. But I'm really shocked that you did because it was so hard for you. You, you They didn't come to terms for a long time that mm. I was living in a foreign country. And um, she said, um, I noticed a big change in you. You're so much more patient with your father. Mm. Um, you, you're learning how to make Chinese food instead of eating out mm. at fancy restaurants mm. all the time. And the biggest change is your, your priority of material things and money and your outlook on what's important in your life is so different just mm-hmm. by staying a year in Guatemala. You know, you used to buy a $300 pair of shoes without even looking at the price tag mm-hmm. or batting an eye and now you wouldn't even pay $7 for two pairs of flip flops. And so Mm. she said, if Guatemala can transform you that way, you know, staying a year, you should go back and stay a Uh, second year.
1: (laughs) What a great story. I just love that. You know, it's, it seems like when you read scripture that there's so much of an upside down understanding of what value is. And when it comes to the gospels, you know, if you want to gain your life, you got to lose it, you know, and it's, it's serving is. Is, mm-hmm. is is rewarded and it's it's giving and it's uh it's not holding and accumulating and nope. so you know some I really do believe believe that oftentimes the American dream and and the gospel story collide and you know what are values and we we shouldn't be self made men and women we should be God made men and women mm-hmm. and we should be very generous and it's not what we accumulate it's what we give and even as Paul says you know earn a living so you have something to share I mean mm-hmm. how How incredible, not so you have something to eat, not so you have something to save, not so you have something to invest, so you have something to share. I mean, and listen, and I I don't want you to think anybody, (laughs) I've arrived there. This is for me as well, because I think I'm fully indoctrinated. I love the American dream and I I, I love stuff and I'm Mm -hmm. trying to be a recovering materialist as well. And I want to tell you, Forget DSW, go to Nordstrom Rack. They always have really good shoes. (laughs) That's where I get my shoes that are kind of a nicer name at a much cheaper price. But anyway, um, all right. Well, let's, the Sharing Center, the Christian Sharing Center, doing business as a Sharing Center. What an amazing place that is and God's hand seems to be on that. Uh, And I know you could unpack this for a long time, but basically what does the Sharing Center do?
2: So our mission at the Sharing Center is through Christ, we provide dignified solutions to those experiencing poverty and homelessness. So to unpack that, all of our program focuses on helping either those that are struggling with living in poverty or those that are living in homelessness and it's um, into, split into two, two different departments. So the homeless department is called the Oasis and it's the one and only one in Seminole County. It's a respite center or resource center for those that are experiencing homelessness. And regardless of where you slept the night before, if you can get to the Oasis, you'll have hot breakfast, you'll have warm shower, volunteers giving you a, a free haircut, Volunteers doing your laundry. So, if you bring your dirty laundry, which you know, homeless people have no place sure. to do their laundry, our volunteers would do that. Awesome. And um, the OASIS goal is to serve you, meet you where you are today, and serve you. And w- when you're ready to talk about housing or getting back into the uh, workforce, will um, plug you into our workforce development program called Project Rise. If you're ready to get into housing, and let's figure out what what is your income look like, or Social Security, or disability, what can you afford, and we'll help you identify housing that you can afford. And mm-hmm. so Oasis ex- just caters to all of the homeless population in our Tri-County area. Then Client Services, um, we run the largest free food pantry in Seminole County. Last year we outreach to families um, 1.8 million pounds of food wow. which is you know huge in comparison to how we started so humbly mm-hmm. 36 years ago and um, client services those families that have a roof over their head but they're not making enough um, income to pay all of to meet their, all of their financial obligations like paying their rent or utility bill water bill um, over 60 percent of america uh, over nationwide, 60% and higher have less than $400 in their bank account. Mm. So that means everyone, 60% is one car accident, maybe Mm -hmm. one illness, maybe one Mm -hmm. job layoff away from becoming poverty Mm -hmm. or evicted and become homeless. And so our goal in client services to mitigate that, to make sure you stay in your housing, bridge your one or two month gap, especially during COVID when a lot of people lost their jobs. They just need a couple of months of assistance and then Mm -hmm. get back on their feet. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of food assistance. We write clothing vouchers for families that are struggling, you don't want to we don't want them to spend money on clothing for all the kids so we'll mm-hmm. give them clothing voucher and if you're first time homeless and getting into your room or your apartment we will help you furnish the apartment we'll give you linens and furniture and night table and maybe if you have a kid give you a laptop to do homework and so we do a lot of direct outreach from our village shops too mm-hmm. Um, we're very blessed the community really supports our retail program so 100 percent of all the products that are sold are donated mm-hmm. and then um out of all the funds raised 88 cents of every dollar is reinvested back into our families That's awesome. and so if you donate your products or if you shop at our shops know that you are directly helping our families in need because and, and the funds goes back to them
1: and there's two tiers of shops it seems like you have like the boutique is mm-hmm. that what it's called and mm-hmm. then and then it's a uh, it's an amazing place right on 1792 in Longwood. Uh, you guys have that whole center there. And I I have I love your uh, vision statement of through Christ. I mean, I'll, I mean that's through him all things um Maybe and possible. to him be, be, be the glory. And I've really learned just listening to your language those experiencing homelessness. And I love the word dignity. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean there there's not a person on the face of the earth, who we shouldn't show dignity to because they're image bearers, mm-hmm. because of what our God's worth, you know? And the Proverbs say, you know, e, give to those in need to those whom's, to whom it's due. And I love to think, you who know, is, who, who is due dignity? Everybody. I mean, there's not a person you'll ever see who doesn't reflect the image of God. And- I mean,
2: from where my office is situated, I can see the whole campus. And I see on a daily basis our amazing volunteers from the pantry. Not only they assemble the food bags, but they'll call um, the client's name, and if they're here by with a car or a friend that has a car, our volunteers will follow you out to your car, put the food in your trunk, as if you're shopping at Publix and mm, other
0: you know, awesome. major
2: grocery store, and yeah. it's it's little things like that that mm-hmm. makes our client feel like they're being served with dignity. Yeah, same thing huge. with you know if you if you have a clothing voucher and you go into the thrift store, you are a shopper just like the rest of the regular shoppers. Nobody knows any wiser. Only until the end when you finish shopping, you turn in your voucher, and we back it for you. But while you're shopping, you know, we want to make sure that your dignity stays intact and Amen. that Amen. you're not feeling ashamed because you're receiving free service. Yeah. Uh, it's so,
1: so great. And I tell you what, that is through Christ and that honors Christ. And that is the aroma of Christ. And uh, you think of the one who gave dignity. There was no one ever better. And it's a friend of sinners uh, who, yeah, it's just beautiful. So well, what's the? So go ahead.
2: I was going to say, I have an amazing team, um, 63 people strong and... Um, they're just all with servant's heart. They're just all awesome. want to improve people's lives. There's, there's no way that we can do the work that we do without the pay staff and then also probably double or triple the amount of pay staff is our volunteer workforce. Sure, sure. They're on our campus every day. And so we're very blessed with an amazingly talented team.
1: That's awesome. They have the talented leader. Hey, what's the best part of your job or your ministry?
2: The best part of my job. Um, a good day for me is if we housed a family that was previously homeless or if I personally hear a story from a family or individual that through our assistance and, and our counseling um, that they were able to t- make a life-changing altering decision yeah. and totally change the tra- trajectory for their family mm-hmm. um, but at the along the same line those are my worst days too, when we cannot help certain families. Mm-hmm. You know, with limited resources, we have to make the call, sometimes very difficult decision sure. on which family to help and mm-hmm. which family we are not able to help sure. and refer out. And so, my good days and our bad days pretty much revolve so, around my my the mm-hmm. clients we serve and the visitors. Mm-hmm. And um, good days we're able to help someone and lift them up, and bad days where we're not able to. Help every single family that comes through our door.
1: Well, it seems like, um, yeah, each day has got to have some highs and lows. How, how does a church like King's Chapel help you? I mean, how, how do we come alongside the Sharing Center?
2: Now, I, I, in the short amount of time that I've attended your um, different services and, and met different people from your parish, I just love the King's Chapel. I mean, Thank the you. people that you have following you and your mm-hmm. leadership and mm-hmm. your vision, they're just really good people, mm-hmm. you know, just Amen. good people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, most nonprofit leaders are gonna say they need money or funding, and we need that too. But our biggest, biggest um, need is always volunteers, loyal mm-hmm. volunteers who mm-hmm. are willing to sacrifice three hours of their week and come on a consistent basis and say I'm gonna devote the next you know year on Wednesday morning, showing up at the sharing center from nine to twelve every mm-hmm. Wednesday. Now pick a mm-hmm. day, pick a shift, pick sure. a job, pick a department. That's sure. our biggest need: is volunteers that are loyal and consistent.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I, I love it. And listen, we love being a part. We really, really do. And you know, any way we can help, we want to. We realize we're a, a smaller church plant, but we love what God has given to us and bless us with. We just had a clothing drive and we're so thrilled that, to see we were able to do that. And the week, be, the month before we had a, a, we gathered food and we did a Thanksgiving drive. And so uh, we love it. And we also were able to go share. Sadly, I was out of town for that mm-hmm. one, but we're hoping to we do more. So uh, Nina, what you do in the community and for the kingdom is really important. And uh, as a pastor, uh, let me tell you to continue to drink deeply from the gospel, from who you are in Christ, uh, not just what you do for Christ, but who you are as a child of God. And and that may that fill you up because, you know, they're going to have some good days and bad days. You know, it's interesting because when you look at Scripture, there's times where there isn't poverty because the church is doing what they need to do. You know, those Acts 2 stories. I mean, everybody who had something to share, they shared but Jesus always says, but the poor you'll always have. you mm-hmm. know. And so there's a sense where in a fallen world until Jesus comes back, there's gonna be a need for the sharing center. I think we all would love the day to come where hey, we solved homelessness. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's something we're gonna have to <laughs> wrestle with and the brokenness of our world. Um, but I know when the church is what it's supposed to do and uh, it seems like there's a real major impact on that. I mean, there was a uh, Roman, um, uh, what do you call him? Not uh, Caesar? I mean, a Roman emperor who uh, early on, uh, as the church was emerging, who says, these Christians, they not only serve their own poor, they serve ours. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just seems to me that dignity that goes and how so God has you as a tip of the spear. And God uh, has you uh, with your experience and your gifting. He gave them to you. Uh, you only have what came from his hand, but he's put you there. And remember, it's through Christ. It's not through Nina. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I got to be your pastor for a minute here. So, it's uh it's so, you know, let him use your strengths, your weaknesses. You're amazingly gifted. You're on the front line. And I know when you're on the front line, you have a target. And and you have a target, and it's and some of the most painful things are going to be the ones that you don't see coming that are close to you. I mean, mm-hmm. they're the churches that you would think that would be helpful that are going to criticize you. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. I mean, you're going to be criticized for doing it wrong, for giving it wrong, for I mean, those who don't are still going to evaluate you and and, and uh, keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, you know, hear well done from him. And uh, um, you obviously got to listen to your board and others. But the bottom line is um, it's a thankless job in, in many ways. And you're at the tip of the spear and you're going to look out your window and see brokenness every day. Mm-hmm. And you will not be able to, to sustain that unless you drink deeply from the fact that of Jesus and what he's promised us, that he's promised us life and life abundantly and he promised to make all things new and we're not there yet. Um, but um, you know, we live in a with a living hope of a resurrected Savior. So may that press upon you and thanks for all you do. Thanks for joining the corner and thanks for sharing your story.
2: It's such a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. So Brooksy that was a wow. Incredible story. Wow, it's an incredible, incredible story. I mean that was that was so so good. So you know I, I know that um we, you know, we have a couple things we may want to just transition to really quick. Is, mm-hmm. uh, we've jumped into our Advent series. Uh, it's Wonder of Wonders. Let me really encourage anybody who has not uh, been a part or listening to the sermons, you can't make them. This year's uh, sermon series is is unusual. I mean, we're going to look at the Advent story through the eyes of gene- Jesus' genealogy. That sounds boring, <laughs> but the fact that there are five women listed in Jesus's genealogy just in and of that Brooks is, is like shocking in that mm-hmm. day that they would list the, the Ninas of the world in there. But there's a reason why God says, Hey, let's move these five to the surface. So let's see their stories and, and to hear about Tamar last week. I mean, here, here is a son-in-law of Judah. Um, the one who through his line is going to come King Jesus, uh, and the incredible story, as we saw in Genesis 38, of uh, this twice widowed woman who has to to dress up as a prostitute to trick her father-in-law uh, into, a, into a, a relationship that would produce a child for her. And through that child will come eventually a savior. You know, I, I got a text afterwards from somebody very close to me. I shouldn't mention who it is. It's my dad. <laughs> you know, he's like, how do you venerate uh, Tamar? I mean, how, how do you... How do you say that there's anything redeeming about this story? But she had faith. I mean, and I don't know exactly that faith, but, you know, being connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and one of Jacob's 12 is Judah, and just to have the faith that God's going to provide a Messiah uh, through this line. Mm -hmm. Um, And Habakkuk 2.4 is going to say the righteous live by faith. And so I don't know exactly what that faith looked like, but uh, Abraham is the father of faith and believed God's promises And this is, remember, the scripture is that we're not righteous because of what we do. We're righteous by who we believe in. And that's, that's Christ Jesus and his righteousness becomes ours. And so um, her actions, man, they were, they were uh, crazy, but, but the results, and and again, not that the ends justify the means, um, but what we see God's hand. And so be amazed that God will say, hey, I want in my genealogy, Jesus' genealogy, let's, let's let's throw this tomorrow, in. Mm-hmm. And you read the story and say, whoa. And so what I hope to say this week is you have another woman of faith. And it's interesting because she's known as Rahab the prostitute. It's almost like she never lost that title. I mean, don't you want to lose that title? <laughs> after a while? Can I be known as Rahab, the one who saved the spies or Rahab, the one who had faith in the midst of... But here you have a, a woman who if anybody had the crosshairs of getting rid of uh, in Jericho, it was a Canaanite prostitute. Um, and yet she had faith. And you know what? As we talk with Nina, God doesn't lose his sheep. And even there's a 911 rescue of a Canaanite prostitute in Jericho that needs to be saved. And uh, God's going to provide a way for her. And not only will she be saved, but she's going to be, again, connected to the genealogy of Jesus. It's beautiful. So jump into this week um, and Brooks let, let me why don't you say something because I just feel like I've just dominated this so well, sorry.
0: well that's why we love the Bible our stories like Tamar and Rahab it's not just a book of rules that we have to follow it's not 66 books of a bunch of rules it's a bunch of incredible stories and how people had faith and some wild different various circumstances and a bunch of knuckleheads a bunch of knuckleheads it's a bunch of stories it's not just a bunch of laws yeah
1: and you know and 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 the stories i love the fact that they show us real people with real issues and real Mm -hmm. struggles and every one of them whispers jesus they all point to a savior that needs to come rescue and, Mm -hmm. and uh and, you know, if nothing else, we know he loves sinners mm-hmm. and, and uh, he loves Tamari, He loves Rahab. He loves Brooks and he loves Jeff. And I think Nina might be his favorite. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, anyway. Yeah. And listen, a lot of lot exciting of time, Advent, as we know, mm-hmm. so busy time of the year. Uh, we've given everybody an Advent devotional, trying to slow it down, trying mm-hmm. to say, let's let's uh, just really focus in on what God has done by sending his son Uh, This Friday, we have our first Friday fellowship gathering uh, at our house, uh, kind of a Christmas celebration, so I hope people can come join us. Uh, uh, We have this Sunday, we'll be stuffing stockings uh, for our angel tree kids, and we're we're excited for that. We're hoping to stuff 200 stockings, so, and don't forget to bring your presents in, wrapped or unwrapped. Again, I I think we had 60 children we were Mm -hmm. trying to provide for, which is a lot for a church that's our size as a growing a new church plant so uh i don't know if you can call us a new church plant after a few <laughs> years but um that's coming up um and then the following week uh, on the 11th uh, we will have our, our luncheon and then we're going to be decorating uh christmas cookies and providing a way to give those to our neighbors to so invite them to our christmas eve service five and seven and it looks like uh, christmas eve we're going to have child care just for the five o'clock service so it's something new but there's a there's a women's uh, conversation tea coming up a week from Saturday I think that's the 10th um, at the Chapman so hey look at our website look at look, make sure you look at what's happening it's a lot of things this month a lot of opportunities to be a blessing as well
0: So, mm-hmm. jump in and invite people it's, yeah, a, it's a great time
1: of year amen invite them I mean people come to church at Christmas and Christmas Eve so it's a great opportunity to share them the love of Christ so Brooks another great one
0: another great one
1: you know mm-hmm. let me uh, you know those of you who have listened uh, a little bit longer of an episode, but man, it was worth every minute.
0: Thank you, Nina, for joining us. Nina, it was great, Thank great you to for have us. you. Thank we'll you, see Pastor. everyone
1: Sunday. Pleasure.